We don't win down here. We lose. You ready for that? Oh, you, th- oh, you were a post-millennialist. You thought we we're just going to go waltzing into the kingdom as you took over the world. Welcome to Nobody with a Bible. Chief Nobody Brandon. And here we talk about all the things and use biblical discernment while doing so. So let's dig in. Not using your feelings, but God's truth. What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. All right, we've been talking a little bit about the rapture lately. We just did a four-part series taking a look at the five different rapture positions and uh, giving some biblical um, reasons why they could be right or why they're wrong. So if you haven't listened to those, definitely check those out. Those might help you a little bit. But today we're going to... Um, look at two specific passages on why the church will not go through the tribulation period. So this answers basically uh, all the other positions there who say that the church is going to either go through some of the tribulation or all of the tribulation period. So that would that would cut, encompass those views here. Um, and a, a lot of times, and we pointed out in these in the, in the other podcasts, is a lot of times what the the problem is is the failure to rightly divide. Okay, so Second Timothy two fifteen, Paul writes to Timothy and tells him to study, to show yourself approved, and then at the end of fifteen, he says rightly dividing the word of truth and there's a lot of divisions that are very important in the scripture we in a lot of christians we hear this word division and we think it in you know in a bad way or you know like you're saying something negative like you know paul says don't cause division you know and you're like division you're not supposed to divide that's what's wrong with the churches there's too much division so that's what attitude we kind of take into this but it's now, it's important to put God's word in order. And that's part of what a shepherd and a pastor's job is supposed to be, is to help the flock understand the order of these things. I'm not going to give you the understanding in itself. That comes from God. But God has equipped his, his shepherds, his teachers, to structure this stuff for you and to teach you. Is it 100% necessary? Could the Lord lead you to this and you could do this on your own? Of course you can. It's very difficult, though, and it's very few and far between. You need to have somebody walk you through these things and to rightly divide these things and to show you where their error is. And this is clear in Paul's instructions in his pastoral letters that he wrote in First and Second Timothy Titus, I mean, that's, it's very important for a teacher. So that's, that's really what's wrong with a lot of eschatology. That's the study of end times in the end times view. It's just a lot of just not rightly dividing the word correctly. And the problem, the main problem is not understanding the distinction between the nation of Israel and the church. That's a very, um, you know, it's a very 
controversial uh, teaching, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if you if you understand Scripture and you rightly divide Scripture, you clearly see God's plan for the Jews and the Gentiles both to be grafted in, to be united as one, is over this period. But there is two distinct groups that we're dealing with here. We are dealing with the nation of Israel and the church. And a lot of times if we go to the Gospels and we're not understanding who Jesus' audience is and not you know where he's talking and, and what he's talking about, and if we don't rightly divide these things, we get into all kinds of error. And that's where you'll read Matthew 24 and you'll read Matthew 24 as if Jesus is speaking to the church. I was just listening to somebody this morning and I, you know, that was, um, it was seven reasons why the, the pre-tribulational rapture is false. And I was listening to his reasoning and his first reason was Matthew 24. Because if you give Matthew 24 a straightforward read, it clearly says that the Lord is coming after the tribulation in those days. It's, it's no doubt about it. You have to understand his audience, and that what that's what everybody fails to do. He's not Jesus is not speaking to the church here, and it's wrong to apply the church to Matthew twenty four. The church didn't even exist yet. I mean, he had just you know he he's explaining. And even the gospel hadn't even gotten to the Gentiles yet. This didn't even happen until later in Acts. So Jesus is not speaking to the church. He's speaking to Israel. And that's where replacement theology, supersessionism, I know those are big words, but supersessionism, replacement theology, it's, that's, that's the word for it. Okay, and that's replacing the church with Israel. And they don't, they'll say, well, we're not replacing it. It's just that it is, you know, it, is, it just kind of morphed into it. And it's, you know, no, that's, that's definitely not the case. I mean, Paul says clearly in Romans, um, you know, until the time of the Gentiles is over, and then the Lord puts his focus back on the nation of Israel. So if we make these, you know, and, and when God puts his focus back on the nation of Israel is, is, is what, what we would read Matthew 24 as not to the church. So that that one reason right there is wrong because of not not properly dividing it. And there's there's different there's different people are all over with Matthew 24 honestly. They can um they can they can come to a lot of different conclusions and a lot of different positions are argued in that. So um but it's it's best to not see that as um you know, speaking to the church. Otherwise, it'll really mess up your understanding. All right, so let's look at a few scriptures here and rightly divide them. First, what we're going to talk about is the wrath of God. We have to understand the wrath of God. That's It's one of those phrases that's used that's important to rightly divide what we're talking about. Because there's all sorts of different levels of God's wrath. There's God's cataclysmic wrath. 
Then there's God's wrath when he lets a nation go. And that's kind of, that's, that's what we read in Romans chapter 1. We see that in verse 18 when Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So we see that there is, that is a judgment, the wrath of God. That is a judgment for all unrighteous men by their unrighteousness who, who suppress the truth. And Paul goes on to explain exactly what it is that they did and what it looks like once God has given them up, given them up to a debased mind. And it all starts with sexual immorality. And it just goes down from there. And then they are full of, in verse 29, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, their gossip, slanders, hater of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. This is a result of God's wrath being poured out on these people is the fact that they're doing these very things. Okay, so that's a form of God's wrath that we're reading there in Romans 1. So, for instance, if we go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse 10, Picking up just in verse 10, and we'll talk about the context and everything for it here in just a second. But Paul writes, And to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Okay. Jesus is delivering it. He's coming from heaven and then delivering us from the wrath to come. But we see in Romans 1 that God's wrath is poured out. So a form of God's wrath is poured out by a nation being a nation being completely abandoned. So there's one form of it. But then there's another form of it. And there's another form of wrath. And we see that form of wrath even back in Romans. If you go to Romans 5, chapter 5 and verse 9, since therefore now we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Well, Paul already says in chapter 1, remember, that the wrath of God is poured out. And the result is a abandonment of a nation that God has given them up to themselves. Hello, America. Yeah, you see what's going on in America? This is the wrath of God because he has abandoned this nation. But there's also a final wrath. A final wrath where God pours out his wrath on the whole world. And that's what we have revelation for. That's what a revelation is all about. Well, revelation doesn't say that the church goes through the, the tribulation period. We don't have time to go into revelation today. We will in the future. But again, that's not a proper division. What's, what's happening when people point to Revelation and they get this mid-tribulational view or some even get a post-tribulational view from Revelation is that you're not rightly dividing from the church in Israel. You're trying to put the church in the tribulation when it's focusing on Israel and you're saying that the saints must clearly apply to the church. And that's, that's definitely not the case. 
There's, we have to divide these things. Otherwise, we do end up in error. Okay, Paul says, Romans 5, 9, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. If we go back to 1 Thessalonians, the whole point of 1 Thessalonians is that they thought that they were in the tribulation period. And Paul is explaining to them, no, 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 no. He's correcting their, they were becoming, you know, they were becoming worried and stressed because they had some sort of teachers that were coming in and were telling them these things, that they were just had twisted eschatology and time stuff. And it completely messed them up. So Paul has to remind them that, no, 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 no. You are not in the tribulation period. You're not in the tribulation period. And he, and he comforts them and reminds them he comes to them later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about the rapture. But here in, in, in chapter 1, right in verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus that delivers us from the wrath to come. Okay, we see that again. We see that Romans 5, 9 wrath. The final wrath. We see 1 Thessalonians. That wrath. He is, Paul is reminding them in chapter 5 of, of 1 Thessalonians. Now concerning the times and season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you ourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While pe people are saying that there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, in verse 4, here's division. You see there, three the, it, back in verse 3, it will, destruction will come upon them. And they, them, they. Paul isn't using gender pronouns here. He's saying that we, in comforting the church, do not go through the tribulation period. But you, in verse 4, are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet for the hope of salvation. And then in verse 9, again, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not destined for wrath. Will we experience God's wrath? Absolutely. Will we go through tribulation? Absolutely. Will, be, will Christians be murdered? 
all around the world? Absolutely, because that's what Jesus said, and it's never stopped since he was here. Not once. Only in our Western world have we got comfort that we haven't been hunted down and killed. But guess what? There's many other countries all around the world where Christians are being hunted and tortured and killed. I've seen this in Afghanistan recently. Maybe this, this, this has always gone on. This has never stopped. We will absolutely suffer this persecution and you should absolutely prepare for death. Could it come at even the hands of your government? Absolutely it could. It's only because we are comfortable that we think that we have some protection over following Christ. No, 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 no. Most of the world doesn't care and that's where you're mistaken. But that is a far cry from the most deceptive, most destructive time in human history. Like there has never, ever, 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 ever been before, never will there be again. It is going to be horrible. We think of the tribulation is it's just laughable to even think right now that we are remotely even close to the tribulation period with the type of death that comes in the tribulation period this makes covid looks like child's play i mean this isn't even this is not even a grain of sand And for the horrors of the tribulation, you really misunderstand Jewish, the Jewish apocalypse. If you you don't you don't know what what God's plagues and what these things are like, and this is going to be like no time ever. That. The church is not destined to endure that. Not, it, it's not going to be in an endurable time. And again, deceptive. He says, if possible, even the elect will be deceived because God himself will send a great delusion during this time period. Do you know how difficult it is going to be to even understand where Christ is in this time? You think Christians go through this? Most Christians, you know, for people that even want to follow Christ, it's going to be so easy to be deceived. You're going to have to be one in a million. It's, it's, it's going to be near impossible. So it, it, it's, it's, not, it, it's not something that we are experiencing now, nor is the church destined for it. And Paul makes that clear. And if we rightly divide the word of truth, we know that. But appealing to... Those who disagree, who hold, still hold to a post-tribulational position, 
to a mid-tribulational position, a pre-wrath position, whatever, and appeal to them, understand that Christian persecution has never stopped, and it never will, and it will only increase, regardless of when you believe the rapture is going to occur. But we have got to take a lot of things into consideration if you hold these positions and you think uh, that this is what the church is destined for because you are you again this is it's not rightly dividing the difference between israel and the church it doesn't make any sense whatever for christ to put the church through the tribulation this is not the type of refinement process um, that is is needed that would be that would be saying that his atoning death on the cross wasn't enough and we certainly know that's not the case so so the two reasons why the church will not go through the tribulation period is Romans 5.9 and 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And we have plenty of other examples as well as in Revelation. When Jesus says that keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world. He's clearly speaking to the church. So those are your two reasons. Take comfort in these things like Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He says, comfort each other with these words. Okay, there's not much comfort in knowing that we will go through the most intense judgment in human history. This is going to make the flood and, and um, you know, everything, every other judgment that has been poured out look like child's play. So, let's rightly divide the word of truth. On the day of judgment, do not, do not fear for the atheist so much, the thief, the murderer. If you want to be afraid for someone on the day of judgment, be afraid for those who carried the title pastor. Let me give you an example. I gave this example last night. Let's say that a king had a bride. He loved her. He dressed her in white. She was pure and precious to him. And the people admired her for, her for her virtue, for her merit. And the king has to go on a long journey. And so he, he uh, tells his steward, he calls his steward in and he says, here are the directions and you are to care for my bride. You do not deviate from this, not, not one jot or tittle. And when I come back, you'll be rewarded. Or I'll come back and you will be severely punished. Keep this book these instructions with regard to her. Well, after a few years, this steward realizes that the people are losing their loyalty in the king, and they're no longer concerned about the bride because, well, she's just prudish. She's old-fashioned. So he takes her and dresses, takes off her beautiful white garment and replaces it with something really sensual, paints her face like a prostitute, and then marches her up and down the kingdom and uses this new look to attract carnal men back into the kingdom. When that king comes back, there, there are no words to describe what he will do to that steward. And when Jesus Christ comes back, there are no words to describe what he will do to many of these men who call themselves pastors who have done to his bride exactly what the steward did in that parable.